are listening to another episode of the Coach's Circle Podcast, brought to you by LifeCoachPath.com. Our goal is to explore all the different ways you can craft your own career in the fields of coaching, wellness, and mental health. Each episode features guests who offer an authentic perspective on their own unique career path and explores ways you might begin to craft your own. For more information on who we are and what we do, visit www.lifecoachpath.com. And now, here's your host, Brandon Baker. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Coach's Circle podcast. Today's special guest is Dr. Eleanor Haspel-Portner. She is a licensed clinical psychologist and professional certified coach through the International Coach Federation, and she is based in Pacific Palisades, California. Hi, Eleanor. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you're here. Not only are you um, well-versed in both clinical psychology and coaching, but uh, we were talking a little bit before the show, and you've been in practice since 1974. So you have a, um, a, a pretty nice view as to uh, kind of the evolution of, of clinical mm-hmm. psychology over time. So we're definitely going to get into that. Um, before we do, though, what I like to start off um, all of our conversations on the Coach Circle is just if you can just take us through some of the um, some of the reasons why you decided to to get into this field. I know it was a long time ago, but um, some of the reasons that that motivated you to get into psychology and um, and later into coaching. Uh, well, when I was in college, I was considering psychology because it was so easy for me and also comparative literature and uh, religion as fields that I found especially interesting. And I decided to do psychology because I thought the other fields were easier to become well-versed in. Uh, And I because of my interdisciplinary orientation, even in college, I went to University of Chicago to a department that was at that point called the Committee on Human Development. And there were great people in that department. Mm-hmm. And it was a interdisciplinary department focused on psychology, sociology, anthropology, and biology. So... I thought at that point that I would do research and teach. And during graduate school, I taught college for three years and decided when I finished my PhD that I didn't want to teach college. I didn't want to be in an ivory tower supervising students' dissertations so they could go teach and supervise other students. I felt that I had the skills and I wanted to help people. I wanted it to be organically evolving and evolving with what people needed. So I went and did a postdoc internship at Rush Presbyterian St. Luke's Hospital in Chicago. And I loved it. I uh, 
finished my internship, got light, took the licensing exam, of course, passed. And I didn't know any better. I opened an office and I said, okay, I'm in practice. <laughs> all seems and to flow very naturally I, for you. Yeah. I I didn't know people didn't do that and I didn't really want to work for anybody. So I opened my practice and, uh, and about the same time went into training as a, as a Jungian analyst, which was a love of mine. And somehow my practice grew uh, organically in Chicago. I got trained as a sex therapist with Masters and Johnson and was in training as a Jungian. And at the same time started Transcendental Meditation, which completely shifted my direction away from writing about my dissertation, turning it into a book, to um, having a Kundalini experience, an energy experience, where I was shown information about relationships. And so I wrote an outline for a book on um, making a decision about getting a divorce, which was a very difficult decision for me. I uh, divorced my first husband and had two young children. And it took me about two years to make that decision. So I realized that there was a real need for people who were in a marriage that wasn't ideal and there was no help for them on how to make a decision as to whether marriage was viable or not. And so I wrote a book on that topic and it was published and my practice got very, very busy. Mm -hmm. And I loved my work. I've often said to people, I've never worked a day in my life because I love what I do and I do what I love. That's great. And as I was practicing, more and more of the people who showed up and wanted help were people who were going through shifts in consciousness. All of my clients are meditators and have a spiritual orientation. And what I found was that I was more working with empowering and validating what people already knew about themselves than seeing them as having pathology, that a lot of the dysfunction or discomfort or anxiety was the lack of recognition and the lack of support for people being who they knew themselves to be. And so it was sort of in that vein that I realized I was doing as much coaching as I was doing therapy. Right. And I, for about 10 years, I did weekend groups every six weeks with probably 30 or 40 people each group. And I loved the group work because I could be very creative and um, have fun with it. 
and uh, the, my clients felt empowered. So probably about 15 years ago, I decided that it was time to see what the coaching field was like and uh, got interested in a technique called clean language, which was a coaching tool and a therapy tool at the same time. And I signed up and took a coaching, coaching training that was accredited with the International Coach Federation. Mm -hmm. And um, I, when people come to see me, I give them a choice. Do you want me to be your therapist or do you want me to be your coach? And they decide. And most of my people, clients at this point are coaching clients rather than therapy clients. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for, for taking us through that. I think it's always fascinating to hear kind of how individuals evolve in their own mm -hmm. career. And your your path is, I would say, um, you know, I, I have heard the, the, the general path before where somebody has an initial interest in therapy and they open their own practice, but then they realize that a lot of the work they're doing without maybe calling it coaching, in fact, is coaching. And mm -hmm. um, especially what I what I've noticed, um, especially the therapists who are more strengths focused instead of um, kind mm -hmm. of like what's what's the problem, what's wrong with you, or let's diagnose, or you know uh, maybe some of the um, more medically minded, I guess classic psychotherapists um, tend not to incorporate coaching in their work, but the ones that look at the strengths, like I said, often do. And um, you know we, we talk a lot on the show about. What is the difference, really, between therapy and coaching? Um, one of the most common distinctions, of course, is that therapy is often looking into your past and coaching is looking to your future. I mean, I think that that's a slight oversimplification, but I, I do think it has some truth to it. I think another one, though, is that, you know, classic therapy, classic psychotherapy is often um, focused on, on, on weakness, You know, um, it's mm -hmm. on what is what went wrong and what are the impediments that you live with today that that should be worked on versus coaching is strengths focused in nature. Um, it's it's think it's looking at, okay, what's going right and how do we use that? How do we leverage that to um, to make it even better? So have you found that distinction useful in your own work? I mean, um, have you found that 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 does kind of in some ways, neatly divide the line between therapy and coaching? In a lot of ways, it does. Uh, I think it is useful in both arenas, both therapy and coaching, to look at the past, uh, but it's more how you look at it and what Um, function the past serves in informing the present and how it's used. So I think it's more a labeling that therapists do because they're oriented to the DSM and diagnosing that the person has a problem or, you know, I don't 
I don't label people. I've never liked using the diagnostic categories because I always have felt that individuals, when they're validated and acknowledged for their own perception, have strength. And if we use that strength to achieve their goals, so I'd say that coaching is more goal-oriented, whereas therapy is more amorphous. I mean, you have goals, obviously, to uh, resolve any anxiety or depression that somebody's presenting with. But even when I have somebody who comes with anxiety, often it's that they have been questioned or dismissed for their own perceptions that create that anxiety. So when somebody is empowered with their own path, they thrive. Right. Right. And so, so I find myself in a sense being somebody's cheerleader validating their perceptions, validating their intuitions, um, encouraging them to get family history so they know what the epigenetics are. We now know that individuals can inherit psychological components, not just genetic physical components. So sometimes the problems that somebody presents with are not even their own. Right. They're things that they took on from the people around them. Absolutely. And so sorting that out from a cognitive standpoint can be very helpful. Right. Yeah, no, thank you for, for um, making that distinction for us. And I think you're, I think you're absolutely right uh, with regard to the genetic inheritance. And it, it's just sometimes a little deceptive because you can't see it. You you can't see the intellectual or emotional inheritance in somebody because it's hidden inside the mind. But in I guess in the same way as eye color or height or some of these other characteristics, hair color. Um, but it, it nevertheless is often inherited as well. And I think it's it's important for clients to understand that. Um, I I wanted to talk to you about. Um, finding a niche because it's often something that listeners of the show are concerned with, you know, people in that beginning stage of, of starting their practice, whether we're talking about therapy or coaching, they're trying to find their identity as Mm -hmm. a practitioner. And in your particular case, you know, you work on couples therapy, you work with families, you work on parenting, um, you work with depression, anxiety, uh, life transition. So, you know, your your practice is um, pretty spread out in terms of mm-hmm. what your clients come to you facing, whereas other practices say, you know, they, they focus just on trauma, you know, or they focus right. just with millennials or just with parents. Mm-hmm. And so did you at one point ever feel the need to niche down, so to speak, and focus on just one demographic or... Or did you very intentionally keep things open uh, and and why? I'd say that if I were to identify any niche, it would be couples and it would be consciousness for myself. But 
I've had trouble limiting myself to one thing because I've studied so many things and I use so many modalities, uh, including the esoteric studies and astrology. I'm also a trained astrologer. And um, I, I've just gone where my consciousness has taken me and I share it. And I, uh, my husband's a medical doctor, so I've, and we've been in the field of wellness and holistic medicine. I became a Reiki master. I'm the 10th Reiki master in the West. So I became a Reiki master in 1982 before anybody knew what Reiki energy healing was. Wow. So it's been very difficult for me to find a niche. And um, it's probably a weakness that I haven't because I am so spread out. And um, I just haven't limited myself. Right. Um, and I think that when people come to see me as a client, they come because I am so encompassing and I can use so many different modalities and I give them a smorgasbord of skills. So for example, somebody came to me last week who was having anxiety and she wanted hypnosis, which I can do. Um, I was the president of the hypnosis society for a couple of years, but in doing a good history, I was able to give her a few tools like the emotional freedom technique and some Jin Shin Jitsu skills and put some pieces of her history together in such a way that by the time she left after our session, she said, I feel really great and I think I'm okay now. And that was one session. Yeah. But, you know, it, it was also diagnostic because she didn't, her history didn't present with somebody who was riddled with anxiety of a psychological, psycho, you know, dynamic nature. It was more, she had gotten off track for herself and just needed to be thinking about things in a different way. Right. Right. Yeah, you you mentioned that, you know, some might see it as a as a weakness that you haven't kind of niched down into one area of focus, but what I find when I speak to therapists that keep their areas kind of wider, they mm -hmm. they do it often very intentionally because they cannot imagine themselves seeing the same client, the same type of client over and over and over again. You know, especially if we're focusing on something like trauma, where, you know, it, it can really weigh you down as a as a practitioner, having not just the weight of the stories that you're hearing and the and the experiences that you're hearing, but the monotony of it as well. And so some therapists very intentionally choose to keep things open because as they say, when a client first comes to you, you have no idea what you're going to be mm -hmm. talking about. And that keeps things fresh. So um, I'm guessing that's also been kind of a benefit for you as well over the past 40 years. I've gone where the energy takes me. 
And I encourage my clients to do the same. So I'm constantly studying, for example, now there's a field called discernment counseling, which is actually uh, a description of what my book was about, which was uh, you have a couple who one person is leaning out of the relationship and the other person is leaning in and they're not sure if they should stay together or not. So in discernment counseling, it's a five session protocol where you meet with the couple and actually help them decide whether or not they are committed enough to really work hard in therapy to see if the relationship is viable. Mm -hmm. And it's, a field that I think is finally coming into its own as a coaching or therapy modality, because so many couples who come for therapy are not really committed to making the relationship work. And so as a therapist, it's very difficult when you get a couple where one person doesn't want to show up for sessions or isn't really committed to change to make the relationship work. So by staying open, I've found so many modalities that can be helpful to people in different degrees of whatever it is they're going through. And I can be of help, which is my sole purpose for doing what I'm doing is I like helping people. Right. And I think the reason why some modalities are widely applicable across different uh, niches, different areas of focus is because in the end, we're talking about the human mind, which um, whether we're talking about career transition or relationships or trauma, I mean, let's be clear, these are all very different. And there are certain elements of them that don't apply to the others. But I think at the same time, there are some that that very much do. And um I think you're probably right by by keeping by keeping things more open you can you know uh you're you're kind of walking through different neighborhoods so to speak you're you're getting exposed to different um techniques that you might not have if you had just stayed kind of more more focused and mm -hmm. I think broadly this applies to therapy and coaching as well I think therapy has taken a lot from the scientific work that has happened under the the light of coaching and they've incorporated a lot of those into into the into their therapy work and vice versa, of course. So it's just another example of that interdisciplinary approach that ends up being better for everyone, right? Right. Yeah. And and you know, with Seligman's work with positive psychology, mm -hmm. a lot of that um, therapy oriented, new therapy oriented attitude that individuals are resilient and it's the science of happiness and how do we move people into that empowerment of self rather than seeing everything as a problem. And the people who have that level of resilience and uh, um, thinking in a optimistic um goal-oriented way seem to do better than the people who look at the problems and focus on the negative. 
So the whole movement in psychology and in therapy has been more toward that empowerment, which is also closer to coaching. Absolutely. That's that's precisely what coaching tries to focus on, at least for the coaches I've spoken to. So um, I think you're exactly right. Yeah. So as yeah. A, a therapist, it's, it's natural to have the skill set. And of course, the coaching field has taken communication skills and right. powerful questions from the therapy field. So they're so related and um, it's almost an artificial dividing between the two right now. I, th I, I agree. Uh, I've spoken to some therapists that might uh, disagree with that, though, because they, they like to keep their therapy and coaching work separate so much so that once they start kind of veering into the realm of coaching, they will actually refer their clients out to someone else. And so it's very interesting having done these interviews, having spoken to so many people from different backgrounds, how different therapists approach this. You know, so, mm -hmm. some therapists agree with you entirely where they they blend the two together almost seamlessly. Um, mm -hmm. And others are very, very intentional about keeping them separate. The The, the majority are more like the, the first, um, like, you know, but there are some that still kind of are holding out <laughs> and seeing it as, as two separate things entirely. Well, from a legal standpoint, they do need to be two separate things. Legally, yes. So, you know, when somebody comes to see me, I ask them, do you want coaching or do you want therapy? Right. And they choose. And I have different agreements and different notes and different paths, so to speak. But most of my clients at this point, I identify as coaching. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I wanted to kind of conclude our, our conversation okay. with a, with a question that I ask uh, pretty much all guests that come onto the show. I think it's illuminating. You know, we we all talk about, you know, especially in that beginning stage, we all talk about the, the positives of therapy and coaching where you see that transformative change. And in coaching, you hear a lot about that aha moment that the client has that kind of helps them move forward. You know, I think everybody can kind of agree more or less on that side of it. But on the other side of it, there I think there's a different answer for every therapist that I speak to, and that is the challenging side. What what has been the most difficult or most challenging aspect of the work that you've done? And how have you worked to to overcome that or, or to combat that? So um, in the time we have left, if you can just share maybe one or two things that have been particularly challenging for you, um, and if you're still contending with them even to this day. Uh, well, the most challenging thing for me has been to try to market myself in on the web, which uh, requires a niche for um, uh, SEO and for um, f being found right. on the web. And I've, I've had quite a few websites um, that have oriented in different ways. Uh, and I'm in the process now of redoing my websites and 
really redoing the coaching side of my websites to be more encompassing and broader rather than trying to limit them to certain things. But it's the, the hardest thing for me has been trying to identify um, a niche because I don't have one really. Mm. And I can't really limit myself. Especially in a world that's where not who I am. Right, right. I was going to say, especially in a world where everybody around you is kind of niching down, you know, um, it can feel almost uh, lonely if you're more of a generalist, you know? Well, and, and um, my niche has to do with consciousness. And I don't want to be seen as a guru or, you know, in that vein. And I also don't want to get back into a teaching mode where I'm teaching and I'm just selling something. Right. So I've resisted that. You know, I have written books and I they are on Amazon and iBooks and all of that. But I'm not about doing the marketing and trying to um, be a salesperson and teach courses and just keep people coming back. I want to relate. I want to, to have a relationship with my clients and to be available to them and to serve their need. And I don't know what that is for each person. So I tailor it to each individual and I can't do it differently and be happy with myself. So that's been my biggest challenge Right, is right. to just stay true to who I am in a world that wants us to define ourselves in certain ways. Mm. That's interesting. Um, and actually I, I find that this marketing challenge is often especially difficult, even more so for, for those who practice coaching exclusively because mm-hmm. therapists have kind of set, you know, um, I guess, well, there's directories online. I mean, everybody knows psychology today. I mean, at least in the therapy world, right? psychology today is kind of like the most popular directory where you can find, um, right. you know, a clinical psychologist, therapist in your area, but there is no such thing for coaches. It's, it's a bit, it's a bit more kind of airy where, okay, well, I offer coaching, but how do you find me? You have to and especially because it's not localized, where a, a coach in California could could work with somebody in New York. And so it's it's even more wide open. And, well, and the that coach makes it federation, the coach federation does have a directory. They do. Uh, it's just that most most potential clients won't be able to find that, I would think, as as readily as say That's probably true. Yeah, I say a, a directory for therapists. It's just it's just not there yet in my experience, and a lot of mm-hmm. coaches express that um, that difficulty as well. But yeah, I mean, I think the larger point you're making about about not letting marketing kind of uh, be the 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 dog wagging tail, so to speak. I mean, not not letting marketing mm-hmm. take over what it is that you're putting out there for the sake of just getting clients, and mm-hmm. I think that's something that you have to make a decision very early on, you know, listeners of the show, you have to decide very early on what your values are. Uh, it doesn't mean they can't change. It doesn't mean your strategy can't change later on. You can always niche down later, but 
for whatever you are at that moment, it's tempting to let the marketing dictate where your practice goes. But it, that's a, it, it's a, it's a pretty negative path because then there's no limit to um, how far you're going to stretch that rubber band, and mm-hmm. um, and then you'll eventually lose, you know, the identity that you hope to to build in the beginning. So something to keep in mind for sure for anybody starting out. Um, I think the yeah. key is to you know to stay true to doing what sparks joy and to do what you love and that is the selling point when you're doing what you love and helping people in the way that is validating their path and is congruent with your own values i I don't think that you can go wrong doing that as long as you have integrity and you practice with integrity and honor the sensitivity and soul of the person you're working with, that's the sacred trust that we as professionals take on. And as long as we are reflecting that to the people we deal with, I think the universe supports us. Right. And At least top- that's been my experience. Absolutely. And I think on, on top of that, when you're in that place of authenticity, that shines through to the client. Mm-hmm. Um, and as studies have shown over and over again, it's actually the relationship between practitioner and client that does a lot of the heavy lifting um, in in the client's experience and the client's evolution that they hope to get from their therapy work or their coaching work. And so when that relationship is coming from a place of, of realness and you can see that the that the therapist or coach is actually practicing what they preach and living what they're saying, mm-hmm. that makes the relationship so much stronger. So uh, I think yeah, that's great when, advice. When I moved from Chicago to California in 1977, because it felt like home, I left my practice in Chicago and came to California. I decided to practice out of my home because I wanted my clients to see that I was living the way I was telling them they could live. Wow, very intentional. Very intentional. And it's worked. Hmm. You know, I, I wanted to be authentic and I wanted them to see that consciousness was not just something I was talking about, but something I was living. Right. I love that. That's that's great. And it's, I think in the in the in the day of COVID with uh Zoom calls and you can see the the therapist or coach's kind of home background. I, I think mm-hmm. uh I think now that's that's kind of come into fashion again. So um that's that's interesting how things kind of come full circle there. But yes. Um but yeah, Eleanor, I, I think this was a fantastic discussion. I, I think you have a lot of experience to draw on clearly that, that gives that gives a valuable perspective to to listeners of the show. So thank you for coming on. And um, I want to give you a chance to tell people where they can find you. I know you mentioned that you're working on your website. Um, So what is that site? And um, how can we find out more about you online? Uh, For my uh, therapy 
uh, sites. You can go to uh, DrEleanor.com, DrEleanor.com, or DrEleanorHaspel-Portner.com, which is my site today site. And for my coaching, you can go to NobleSciences.com, which will be the new site that will be up shortly. The old site is still up or beyondhumandesign.com. Got it. Okay. Um, so uh, two ways to contact me. And my email is ehp at noblesciences.com. Perfect. So I will make sure to have all of these in the show notes uh, below the audio file. Everybody will be able to um, see where they can contact you if they want to learn more, if they want to read more on your website. Um, and yeah. also, let mm -hmm. me mention one other site is um, www.moptu.com forward slash Dr. Eleanor. Okay. And that takes you to my Moptu page, which is a social media platform for articles. So a lot of my um, links to my blogs, my websites, um, are all there great yeah nobody's actually mentioned um up to before so um yeah thank you for for sharing that i think you i think you've given <laughs> i think you've given our listeners a lot to digest and if they want to learn more there's definitely more resources um just below the audio file that they can go ahead and click on so eleanor thank you again thanks for and being thank on the you. show yeah absolutely um i wish you the best of luck thanks again thanks okay bye-bye Thank you for listening to this episode of the Coaches Circle Podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to our show just as much as we enjoyed making it. If you'd like to check out a complete listing of all of the episodes on our show, head on over to lifecoachpath.com slash podcast. See you on the next one.